0: Good afternoon today on Living Writers, N. Scott Mamaday, taped on Friday, March 11th, 2016, when N. Scott Mamaday came to Ann Arbor to give the inaugural Robert F. Burkoffer Jr. Lecture, sponsored by Native American Studies in conjunction with the Department of American Culture. Please join us. Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got living writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And today I'm so happy to have N. Scott Momaday here in the studio with me. We're taping this program. It's the 11th of March, 2016. Um, Welcome, Scott, to to the, the radio station and to campus.
1: Yes, thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's very nice to be here. I've never been to the campus here before, and it's beautiful. I, we had a walk over from where, where I'm staying, and uh, lovely, lovely. It's spring-like now.
0: It is. I think the, the, the crocus are, are kind of peeking out yeah. a little bit, <laughs> so we know there's hope.
1: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Um, Scott, would you mind telling us a little bit about the song we just heard? Because you've chosen the music for today's program.
1: Yeah, it's the gift to be simple from Appalachian Spring is a beautiful tune. I think it's an old Quaker tune actually. And uh I've I've loved it for a long time and I've I enjoy listening to it when it's raining outside. Why? I don't know. It just seems to fit that uh that context somehow. Oh, it's that's beautiful <laughs> music. It's <laughs> <That's>
0: wonderful. <laughs> I don't know if because it's the first time I've I've ever heard it, but I to me I felt like it meant sunshine, but You'd, maybe it's the day.
1: You know I lived in I I lived in San Francisco for some years and I lived uh, in what is called a Marina and um it had a bay window my apartment and I would uh, love listening to that music and seeing the rain come against the window the, the bay window reflections of street lights outside it was just magical somehow
0: Oh that must it sounds like it's why did you ever move?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering that myself.
0: <laughs> maybe maybe it's time to have another pita, a ter- little, little place in San Francisco. It <laughs> uh, wouldn't
1: be bad. Wouldn't
0: say no. Um,
1: but, but you know, the Southwest is my native heathen, so I all the time I was in California, uh, I was trying to get back to the Southwest and knew that I would eventually. And finally, I, it happened.
0: And because you felt a pull f- to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was 20 years in California. And uh, all that time I was thinking, well, now how am I going to get back to uh, New Mexico, which is where I love to, to be?
0: Well, you know, that's before we go any further, I'd like to thank um, Lauren at University of New Mexico Press for sending me a copy of The Way to Rainy Mountain um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> by N. Scott Momaday and illustrated by your father, Al Momaday. Right. And I'll read the short bio on the back, and we'll be, um, of course, filling in parts of your story as we talk today, if you don't mind, Scott. <laughs> um, that's
1: fine with me, yes.
0: Um, actually, before I start, is it is it Kiowa? Yes. Okay, thanks. I just wanted to make sure because I'd actually never heard the name of the tribe out loud. I had only been reading it in my head.
1: <laughs> I think about one-third of the people say Kiowa, which is correct, and the other two-thirds say Kiowa. Really? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, as, as Tex pointed out to me earlier today, that sounds too much like quinoa, now, <laughs> like right. the current ter- trending yeah. food item. <laughs> so Kiowa. Um, right. And so maybe people now... People listening will now know. So yes. it'll be more than a third soon, <laughs> Scott. Yeah, our listeners. Are I'm shooting for half, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, a member of the Kiowa tribe, N. Scott Momaday, was born in Oklahoma but grew up on reservations in the Southwest. He was educated at the University of New Mexico and Stanford University, and later taught at Berkeley, Stanford, and the University of Arizona. Mamaday won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1969 for his novel, novel House Maid of Dawn. And we've got that book with us. It's a great copy from the University of Michigan, Hatcher Library, with a dark red cover. (laughs) I think it's a first edition. It it looks
1: like a venerable edition.
0: It is. Someone's loved it and made notes in it, too. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I like that. Don't you? Yeah, I do. Yes, that's what books are for.
0: Do you make a lot of notes in your...
1: I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is it? Are you having conversations with yourself in the book when you... Um, when
1: Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yes. I talk to myself a lot. And uh, that's, that's part of the process of writing for me. I have to hear what I'm writing. So I talk, you know, I write something, I, I read it aloud to myself, and uh, then I carry on a little conversation to see if it's what I want it to be. And that's that's basically what I do.
0: When you say carry on a conversation, is it that then you're trying out other like you have the line or mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. and then you actually and, and you say it aloud, and mm-hmm. then you say other possibilities or other pieces? Or are you hearing what's next or?
1: Yeah, it's uh, I, I uh, read it uh, read several co- versions of of certain things, so I want to get the the sound of inflections. So I would say it was raining in the desert. Or it was raining in the desert or it was raining in the desert. You know, I do this kind of thing all the time. <laughs>
0: and, <laughs> and people listening might be like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, but that's what poets do.
1: Of course. Yes, yes.
0: It's part of it.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: It's and it's part of finding what the real life of it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's how I feel about it and uh it works pretty well, doesn't it? You're a poet. You should, yeah. You do the same thing, and uh, something good comes of
0: it. Yes. Yeah. One hopes. One hopes. Knock everyone. on wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, Scott. Clearly, it has for you because we've got we've got four books on the table here. But that's not nearly the, the number of books possible. Um, a, I I even checked out more from the Ann Arbor District Library. <laughs> People are right now like ah, who has all these books? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <Okay>. folks, <laughs> I'll return them soon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um,
0: but uh, but but it's it's wonderful to to have this chance. You've, maybe we should say you've you've come to campus. You're you're giving a reading on it's, it's tonight, March eleventh. And so, so by the time folks listen to this, they won't be actually able to, to hear the reading, unfortunately. But good news is there's lots of um, clips and um, videos of you on YouTube um, and your, your wonderful voice. It's, <laughs> uh. I could just listen to you um, talk
1: well, oh, thank you. Forever. Thank you.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't want to talk forever, but uh, <laughs> snatches here and there—that's all right. Yeah.
0: Fragments. <laughs> Fragments. Um, yeah. um, so, and this is—you mentioned before we came on the air, Scott—that this is your first time at at Michigan.
1: Yes, yes. I oh, I've you know heard about the campus a long time, and I'm a great football fan, of course. uh, Are you? Oh yes, indeed. College football is one of my glories. I love the. I love it when the, when the first game comes in September or so, and then I follow all the football through until its end, to the bowl games.
0: And it's definitely college football. How do you feel about the NFL? uh,
1: Less interested in that. I I I enjoy watching some, and and of course they, they. What they do is wonderful. They are so proficient and talented uh, but lacks something to me it lacks something of the spirit of college ball
0: definitely especially I, when people just move around to different teams and mm-hmm. it feels more financially driven whereas i guess mm. well i guess that's part of there's sort of a, an argument going on right now like whether college athletes should be paid too, <laughs> right, <laughs> a wage right. um but there is something about The spirit of it that feels different when it's for your school,
1: I would imagine. Yeah, to 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 walk out into September or October weather and uh, hear the slap of leather and uh, see the excitement of the of the teams, it's it's quite inspiring. I I wouldn't want to live without it.
0: You know, you'll have to come back then in the fall. Come to the big house.
1: I would love to. I've seen pictures of it, of course, but uh, never been there. But wouldn't that be wonderful to come see Michigan play Ohio State, right? <laughs>
0: oh, yes. yeah, I, I'm, I'm
1: not supposed to mention that. that right. The
0: Ohio State. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, it's wonderful, yeah. and it's also it's also a strange energy. You can just feel it; like everything is different You're right. in town, and it's so it's it's wonderful. But it's not always a good en- energy because there's some um, mm-hmm. not danger, but there's something to it that that feels. Uh, Something's different. Something's going Something's happen. different.
1: You know, uh, I, when I was at Stanford, I went to the games, of course. And it's a nice stadium. And uh, all around it is a kind of wooded area, you know. And, and the tailgate parties are wonderful. <laughs> I, that was an added dimension to the game and a very good one.
0: <laughs> they have got those here too, Scott. Really? I'm sure, come back. I'm We're sure. gonna, gonna get you back here next fall. <laughs> I'd love
1: to come. I'd love to come.
0: Wear the blue and maize. and oh <laughs> Well well tonight <clears throat> well so what what will you be um what will what will you be talking about tonight? Like are you going to be um reading poems? Are you going to uh be giving a talk or or what?
1: Uh, Well, I'll tell you what I have in mind. Because
0: you're not here for a football game this time, unfortunately.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping to talk about uh, language and uh, uh, the meaning of the word, the power of the word, and um, the oral tradition, which is one of my special interests. So storytelling, basically, is is what I'll be doing.
0: Um, So do you mind if we talk a bit about storytelling? Not at all. This afternoon, then. Sure. Um, The power of the story. Mm -hmm. And... um, and that's why, so we have The Way to Rainy Mountain on the table, the mm-hmm. book. Um, and that's really why <clears throat> trying to record stories that you'd heard your entire life mm-hmm. as told to you <clears throat> by your father and your grandmother. Yes. Um, that's that's what's driving The Way to Rainy Mountain, this book, isn't it? Exactly.
1: Yeah, I, The Way to Rainy Mountain is uh, uh, something that came about in an interesting way. I... I um, I was at the University of Santa Barbara. It was my first teaching post, University of California at Santa Barbara. And um, I had these stories in my mind, and they had been there since my father told them to me when I was a child, you know, and I'd make him tell me stories again and again and again. And uh, so they were transplanted into my mind, and they were there, and... um, then
0: uh, what what was it about the stories that you insisted that your father would tell them to you again? because because it seems like these are stories that are told again and again yes because these are ancestral stories these are stories to Mm -hmm. be told
1: yeah and that's the wonderful thing you you get them into your ear and uh, mind and they stay there and because they're very exciting and colorful and, uh, so
0: visual, so you're seeing...
1: Visual, yes, okay. indeed, yeah. They are, they are acts of the imagination, and I've always thought that the imagination is uh, the power of seeing beyond reality. So, you know, they, they're wonderful things. And it occurred to me when I was at Santa Barbara that I had these, and um, they had never been written down. And then I began to understand that they were fragile, that they could be lost easily. Uh, and so I wrote them down. And then a uh, couple of colleagues there, and, and I put together a book, which was—we we had uh, an old Washington hand press at the university, and uh, so we a printed letter,
0: it. A letter press?
1: Yeah, and we printed it, uh, and, and uh, we had a grant from the university. Grants were much easier to get then than now, <laughs> and uh, so we bought a special um, paper for it, handmade paper, and we printed 100 copies called The Journey of Time A. And it was basically the story, made of the stories that are in the Way to Rainy Mountain, without the commentaries or illustrations. So that's how the, that's the genesis of the Way to Rainy Mountain.
0: Let's take a short break, and then we'll be right back to talk more today on the progr- program. And Scott Momaday is here. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We'll be right back. back you've got living writers i'm t hetzel today and scott momaday is here um in the studio and we're talking about poems and stories and music scott thanks for choosing that song and do you mind telling us a little bit about it like how how you connect to it
1: um i i don't remember how i first came across tramarai but uh, Horowitz has always been a favorite pianist f- of mine. And I uh, have a recording of uh, Horowitz in Moscow. And after uh, many, many years of being in the United States, he returned to his native Russia. And he, was, he gave a concert there, which was quite wonderful. It's also on videotape. And- uh,
0: weren't, weren't you in Moscow?
1: Yes, I, I spent a uh, lovely time. I've been in Moscow several times. But the first But
0: time, never to Michigan before- <laughs> No,
1: that's <laughs> right. It's a, it's But I'm sure Michigan plays a better brand of football than uh, (laughs) Moscow does. But I went there in 1974, and it was a wonderful experience. It was behind the Iron Curtain, of course, and I had no idea what to expect. And it turned out to be not comfortable but fascinating. And so I went back many times. I've done work in Siberia. I have a foundation which has worked with people in Siberia and Russia and uh, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful country actually, but it's got such a, such an oppressive history. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I guess we can't really point fingers at their political structure right now, considering our own state. I don't
1: want to talk about that. No, that's okay, yeah,
0: me, me either. What about, what about your foundation, though, Scott? Because that seems like such a, that seems a valuable thing. That so not only are you um, creating pieces of literature and art and and watercolors, and uh, you know you have, about my watercolors, do you? A little, a little bit, because ah. I saw some of the. There's some. Um, well, you watercolored. This is a watercolor of yours, and then with your father's um, mm. drawings on it, and then one of the, not the novel, but there's some beautiful. Um, now I'm thumping around here. I read about your work as a painter because your your father was a painter as yes. well. Yes. Yes. And these, so these are the ones that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Oh. Yes, okay. So yes. And
0: with these, just for everyone listening, these are, um, it's, mm-hmm. it, it looks like parts of the, the poems.
1: Yes. Could you describe
0: I, them? <laughs> well, they're, <laughs> they're,
1: they're, uh, they're watercolors, and and uh, they do accompany my most recent book of poems. And um, they're, well, many of them are abstract. Some of them are not. Some of them uh, have, uh, you know, d- the definite relation to the poem itself. So I, I am busy painting a lot of the time. Painting and writing are my, the expressions of my spirit. And so I divide my time almost equally between painting and writing.
0: When did you start painting? Because did the writing... It seemed almost as if, from what I've read, the writing came first. And from your yes. mother,
1: yeah Yeah, Exactly. My mother was a writer. And um, so there were always books in the house, and she was always reading things to me, and I would... Uh, you know, I, she introduced me to um, a good many things that have made an impression upon me. And
0: um, and the framework of your name, too.
1: The and framework th- of my name. What do you mean?
0: Um, because your mom's first name is... Is also your? Or is it? It's also an N. I don't know if yeah, it's the her same. Yeah, n- her name. I saw different versions of your first name actually out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get we were confused a, a good deal because her, she is uh, her her name is Natachi, which is um, my uh, email address. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
1: but she that's a Cherokee name, and my name is Navarre. Oh. Navarre. and she gave me that name because some of her. Distant ancestors came from Basque country in the province of Navarre.
0: Oh, and yeah. So you have Basque and also Scottish.
1: Yeah. Well, the name. Yeah, I'm. I'm not Basque, but, but. Uh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I am, <laughs> maybe. but across a long distance, you'll, I'm not sure.
0: You'll have to do that <laughs> finding your roots. Really.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And what were we talking about? The well, Way to Rainy Mountain. Um, what was, I was had something to say about that, and I forgot. Oh,
0: I'm sorry. I took us around in the wrong. Yeah. Well, we were also talking about your mom and how there were always books in the house. Oh and... yes,
1: yes. And uh, so I followed in her footsteps. I, I I wanted to be a writer from the time I was eight or ten years old, and uh, so I did become a writer.
0: So from when you were eight or ten. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I was I, I think largely because she was a writer, and so that was a. An incentive and uh, an example for me, and I wanted to be a writer from a very early age. My father <clears throat> was a painter, and I watched him paint all the time I was a child, but I didn't have any desire to become a painter until much later, I, in, well into my adulthood. In fact, when I when I was in Moscow uh, in 1974, something about the... Um, the uh, atmosphere there, something about the distance from home, uh, led me to drawing. I started drawing things, and that went into painting and printmaking and so on. So it became a second career when I from the time I was about 35 or 40.
0: And, mm-hmm. and when you were drawing in Moscow, was it drawing things that you were observing there, or was it actually from your mind's eye, your imagination, what you remembered from home?
1: Both things, both things, yeah. I was trying to I don't know make a record of what I was looking at because it was very different mm. and exotic for me <clears throat> and I was also drawing things that uh, came from my you know from my existence before Moscow
0: Do you have notebooks of these drawings?
1: Uh some yes yes I do
0: No uh, are, are you somebody that has lots of notebooks with your writings? Like, is it something where are you organized, Scott? No, no.
1: (laughs) Not really. I I have a lot of scribblings and and, uh, sketches around, but I don't collect them. You know, they're just strewn about it. And so I I have them, but I, I couldn't, uh, if you ask me, oh, c- could I see uh, the draft of this or that, I couldn't put my hands on it right away.
0: <laughs> Would you mind, can you, can you take out the 1974 Moscow draw? <laughs> no.
1: I doubt it. I, maybe
0: someone should start collecting them, though. Maybe that's, that's a, yeah, maybe a job so. for someone, right?
1: <laughs> maybe so, yes. Yes. Not it's a good thing to be organized. And, and you know, it's a good—we it's a, we talk about discipline when we're writing. Oh, people need discipline. Do they? Well, the, uh, yeah, I guess they do. You know, I was trying to think—when uh, I was writing Housemaid of Dawn, which is my first novel, um, I had a wonderful routine. I would get up in the morning before daylight, and I would— uh, Drive down to an all-night restaurant that I knew this was in Santa Barbara. And uh, I would get the, the uh, Los Angeles Times and, f- and a cup of coffee with four strips of bacon.
0: Four strips of bacon? Crisp
1: bacon. And that's uh, how I began the day. And when I, when I got back home, I went right to my typewriter and started working. And uh, for about four hours, I could write. Uh, and that was a wonderful routine and I, I've never achieved that level of discipline since <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is so interesting because in a way I, it it worked for you
1: it did yeah it did
0: so what was it about i wonder what it was that made you resist it
1: what made me resist it i don't know just laziness i think you know <laughs> procrastination and laziness but now i work uh, much more sporadically and I, that works, too, but perhaps not as efficiently. And uh, so there you are. That's that's the story of my writing life. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that's it. You've heard it here on Living Writers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> I think there's a lot more to the story. Mm. Maybe it's also because what you're making now, like the novel is a long form, and maybe it required that. Um, whereas what you're working on now, does it feel different? The the stories or
1: there's know. a great difference, I think, between writing a novel, say, and, and writing poetry. Poem, I think of as something that you can uh, you can grasp and and uh, and produce uh, quickly and naturally. Uh, I write poetry because I must. Um, and I, I, I think the, the novels have been aberrations of a kind, and I really am a poet and, uh, have always been without knowing it necessarily, but it comes out, you know, now I write poetry and I look at some of my poems and I think, did you do that? Did you do that? Did you do that? You know, it's a wonderful, wonderful
0: feeling. Which, which, which are some of your favorite ones?
1: Scott. The bear, the bear. I wrote a poem about the bear, which was really m- one of my first successes. I was at Stanford in the creative writing program, and uh, we were, I was with about five other students in a class, and our job was to write poems and uh, to share them and discuss them. It's a good way it's to It's a good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, and the Bear, I wrote a poem called The Bear, which um, uh, was my first uh, – it won um, the Academy of American Poets Prize, and it was my first real success, I think.
0: And it was one of your first poems too, because when you because yeah. mm. so when you started writing more than you weren't writing poems. When would you say? When did you start writing poems? Then, because when you were eight or ten, you were thinking stories.
1: Yeah. I think I first started with poetry as an undergraduate at the University of New Mexico. Uh, I, I was I joined a group of people <laughs> who called themselves writers. We we went around uh, advertising that we were writers. And uh, did course, you have
0: sort of the writer uniform? At the well, time
1: being? <laughs> we, we had a we had a way of talking about ourselves and uh, and literature, literature. You know, it was wonderful. And, uh, but none of us was a writer at the time. We became Some of us became writers. Others didn't. But uh, at that moment, you know, at that time, we were riding high on that uh, definition.
0: The um, idea of it. The idea of
1: it. Was, and and it, was, it was a good idea. Is, we'd, it, we'd, is we'd, it
0: the right idea? Like, how is it what you are <laughs> from uh, different the, or the same as what you imagined at that time?
1: How? Because
0: you are a writer.
1: <laughs> well, I am a writer, and uh, fortunately, I guess I became a writer out of that—that that, those ideas, you know, of of, of one's self as a writer—that became a reality for me. It was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. But um, yeah, I became a writer, and uh, uh, I was interested in poetry when I was an undergraduate, and. Uh, so I started entering contests and so on. My first published poem was written, I think, uh, just after I graduated from college.
0: So you had, um, a, like, mm-hmm. acknowledgement or success. Like, you found a place for the poem out in the world pretty soon after you made it.
1: Yeah, I was very fortunate in that respect to... It seemed to take a long time to, you know, from the time I started writing poetry until I published something. But, yeah, when I, when I published my first poem, I was elated because I thought, oh, now I'm a professional. I am a writer. And I can say it and nobody can deny it, you know. so
0: Here's the proof.
1: Here's the proof of it, right? <laughs> Look, here is the proof of that. Yeah,
0: I, well, The pudding, I've, the proof of the proof pudding. i
1: always wondered where that came from. I don't understand. What, what is the proof of the pudding? Do you know?
0: I don't know, but I'm already <laughs> trying to think about it. <laughs> yeah. And does it have to be the, the soft, mushy pudding, I wonder. or is it bread pudding, I, I or wonder. is it a uh, other kind of? Oh, I hope it's dessert? bread
1: pudding. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope you've had lunch. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: We'll take a short break, and then we'll be back today on Living Writers. And Scott Momaday is here. <clears throat> we'll be right back. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm glad you did. Today, N. Scott Momaday is here in the studio um, picking the music, talking about poems and pudding.
1: (laughs) Pudding. You know, when I came here, this is delightful. I I didn't realize I was going to hear some of my favorite music as well as uh, chat with you. Well, thank thank (laughs) you
0: for picking the music because it's an education for me, too, and it's beautiful. I feel like it adds to your soul. You know, ah,
1: that's a word, isn't it? Soul. I'm going to be talking about that to some extent tonight. The soul. How so? Well, it, uh, well, it's a long story. I'm not sure we can uh, – <laughs> I can tell you the answer to that immediately. But uh, I'm talking about uh, things that come from native wisdom and uh, uh, principles of living and uh, the source. I call the source – one of these principles the source yeah, origin, uh, source, but it's also spirit, energy, and what most of us would might call the soul so that's a that's a concept that interests me greatly
0: and do you think mm-hmm. um I think it's interesting that there's so many words for it mm-hmm. Why do you think that is, Scott?
1: Because we, I think, uh, I think one of the answers to that is we don't know enough about it to be definitive. You know, to say, all oh, right, the soul is such. a thing. it's like the imagination. Well, how how do you define that? Or the mind? The mind I, that occupies my thinking a lot. What, what is the mind?
0: Wait, is it the brain? It's
2: no, it's not just the it's brain. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. We, the brain is is. Uh, uh, tactile, you know, we can it, we can see it. it's a good diagram it, and so on. But the mind, no, that's something else. But it's wow! Is it uh, is it exciting and important and powerful?
0: And it's it's like mm-hmm. it's it's a fusion, isn't it? It can't exist without the 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 physical. You know, like the mm-hmm. no, I'm knocking on my body right
1: now. Yeah, I see that you are. Don't hurt <laughs> I'm telling yourself. telling
0: the radio listeners <laughs> as I mime the show, uh-huh. um, and. <clears throat> But, also, something that ignites us,
1: oh yes, yes, so yes. the soul, yeah soul. or or
0: spirit or source or
1: energy or energy. something yeah, exactly
0: it's like the um the words for snow i I read somewhere once that um I think it's the the Inuit have just like hundreds of words for snow,
1: yes, I've heard that too i'm mean, and I'm sure that's true, yeah,
0: because it's it's so. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. And sometimes... sometimes I
1: lived among the Inuit for a time. You in, did? in Greenland and in Alaska. And uh, I, I don't in know Greenland? their language. Hmm?
0: You lived in Greenland?
1: Well, I didn't live there, but I visited there and stayed for some time. I lived in, a, in an old people's home in uh, the original Tula. It was fascinating. And uh, it was great. Yeah, I, 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 I love the Arctic, and I've, I've explored quite a bit of it.
0: Because well, you were saying you were in Siberia as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Siberia, Alaska. Alaska, Baffin Island, Northern Canada. Hmm. Yeah, wonderful cold country. You
0: know, <laughs> so different from the Southwest.
1: So different the from landscape the Southwest. And yeah. the,
0: what's what's required of you, maybe?
1: Yeah. Well, maybe one of the reasons I love it is that I grew up in a much more temperate climate, and uh, so getting into the cold was was. New and exciting for me as a young man. I probably wouldn't uh, care m- as much for it now as I did then. But uh, there's something wonderful about, uh, you know, uh, one of the um, one of the great explorers, uh, Amundsen, I think it was. He said, "Give me the dogs and the ice. You can have the rest." And I told that to a girlfriend of mine at one time, and she said. Um, Uh, you can have the dogs in the ice. I'll take the rest. (laughs) (laughs) That's a uh, very good pairing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: One seems more like a romantic vision (laughs) and one seems (laughs) somewhat practical. (laughs) Um, Yes. And now with the disappearing ice as well, right? With uh, the Iditarod, apparently they're waiting for snow so they can begin the race or, yeah, or, right. or they're trying to do the race without some of the snow which seems impossible
1: yeah how do you do that i don't know You're substituting skidoos for the dog teams what's maybe. a skidoo um, you know a um, uh, snowmobile
0: oh still it seems like you might need snow
1: no no
2: no, oh, no it songs, okay.
0: it's got a great name i love that yeah. oh, skidoo skidoo so, yeah could be my new password no just kidding <laughs> it won't be but um <clears throat> but but so the music that we just heard then too um thank you for picking the songs that you've picked today because it does it, it, it gives um it gives an idea of uh, who you are on the inside a little bit
1: mm-hmm. well, thank you i think I would like to think that yeah yeah i should should probably uh, you know have Indian music, native american uh, drums should you and, should flutes you? and uh, songs i don 't know, but that 's been a part of my life, certainly
0: well, maybe what yes, and what are some beautiful should, we should talk about it
1: it 's not hard to it 's not uh, hard to find it is hard to find um there There are recorded uh, songs you know and uh, flute music and drums and so on, but nothing that you can I can put my finger on, but it 's very much a part of my being, and uh, I hear it in my in my mind ah mind mind yes yeah it 's a good place to hear it
0: <laughs> What does it sound like when you 're hearing it? <laughs>
1: oh, it sounds like uh, dancing, you know I, I belong to a uh, organization in the Kiowa Tribe called the Gourd Dance Society. And we meet once a year in ju- July and dance. Well, I, I can't do it now, but uh, when, I was, when I was not in a wheelchair, I could dance. And there's a wonderful excitement and energy to that. So I hear that kind of music in my mind fre- frequently.
0: And what is the, the Gord Dance? Because it's a book of your poems as well.
1: Yes. It's a society. and It's, a, it's an old soldier society in the Kiowa Tribe. There used to be many soldier societies, and now there, I think there are just two. One is called the Gord Dance Society, and the other is called the Black Legging Society. And these are so were soldier societies, and uh, you have to be a veteran of the wars to, um, to belong to the black leggings, but not so the Gord Dance. And I've been a member of the Gord Dance Society since 1969.
0: And why did you join?
1: It's a great honor to belong to that society. And because I was a Kiowa, I thought, this is great. I should have that status, you know, a member of the Gordon Society.
0: Is it, is it cross tribes?
1: No. It's,
0: it's Kiowa. It's, well, or...
1: now, now perhaps you can say it is because it, at one time it was purely Kiowa. Now you find uh, some members who are members of other tribes.
0: And is that a good thing?
1: I think it is. It's a kind of trans... Uh, it's a kind of um meeting of, of cultures and and uh, languages and so on. I think it's probably a good thing.
0: And it 'cause it seems interesting to me <clears> as well, Scott, because your your mom was part Cherokee. Yes. And then and you were born in, in a hospital that was Kiowa Comanche. Mm-hmm. Right? So it feels like there's Yeah. Like there's
1: There's always been a kind blunt. of amalgam to things there. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well maybe um maybe we can talk a little bit about the way to rainy mountain with because we've talked about the genesis of part of the book cuz there's piece there's there's three sections but then within each of the sections there's parts mm-hmm. as well for each page that you're opening and there's the the, the um the drawings paintings by your father mm-hmm. as well the visual mm-hmm. element um but it seems like this book had the the purpose of stories, but also your grandmother died and you went on a journey. And is that that also part of the story of this book?
1: Gaia was uh, migrated uh, from, uh, I think, the earliest evidence we have of them places them in western Montana, near the headwa- headwaters of the Yellowstone River. And before that, they must have been farther north, and they must eventually have come uh, across the Bering Bridge from Asia. So their history is old, but it's not written. It's an oral kind of history. But uh, along the way, uh, they told these stories and uh, they have become a part of uh, an oral tradition. And um, it's an intricate uh, story, the the migration itself. um, I wanted to, to know about that in a in a very uh, in a very uh, deep way. And so when I was writing the way to Rainy Mountain or compiling the stories, I traced retraced the route from Montana down to southwestern Oklahoma, which is where the 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 migration ended. And uh, what a fascinating journey that was
0: and when you say you retraced it, what's the practical parts of that? How what is what did you do? How
1: I drove up to Montana and then I imagined the route of migration from Montana down into Oklahoma. I drove that distance and uh, took uh, notice of the, the landscape and the wonderful features of the landscape in the course of that journey and ended up at uh, my grandmother's grave at Rainy Mountain. So it was a personal pilgrimage and a wonderful kind of research, uh, and uh, re-establishing the migration itself in my my planting it in my mind and vision.
0: And when you were doing it, were you? Did you feel like there were more people with you too? Like I guess I'm imagining that you did it alone phys- physically. I guess we're in this that time but was it something like you felt like those moments when you can sometimes feel um the o- overlays of other times
1: absolutely yeah to, all along the route i was imagining that what it was for those you know group the the band of, of people making that migration and uh, they were with me or i was with them from the time uh from the time uh, we came across the the uh bridge I, you know I, I talk in some of my writing about the, what I call the blood memory and um, I, I think there is such a thing we remember things in our distant uh, past before we were born and I had that uh, feeling as I was making this, this uh, trek um, you know I like to say uh, oh I remember being on the bridge yeah that was, <laughs> a, that was a long time ago it was cold god it was cold We had dogs, you know, and fire. Uh, Otherwise, we would have been lost. And uh, it was cold. God, it was cold.
0: Yeah. So that's why maybe you went you went north, right? Probably. Why you back went to, to
1: back to my roots? You did, yeah. right? You were like,
0: I want to see the pre bridge where yeah. we, right?
1: Well, you know, they say the Kiowas, have their origin myth has it that they came into the world through a hollow log.
0: I love that.
1: I want to f- I want to find the log, you know, and in my mind, in my mind's eye, I have been there. I've seen the log.
0: What does it look like then? To well, you? it
1: lies uh, horizontal in the snow and. Uh, you know it's still there with an opening at both ends, and you can imagine the people crawling through into the present world
0: and it's still <laughs> there okay well i have I have a question for you on that because I think part of the story isn't it that people mm-hmm. the Kiowa were coming through, and then a woman who was pregnant got stuck mm-hmm. in the log and gummed up the works <laughs>
1: gummed up the work good way to put it, yeah, from that point, nobody could get through. And that's why the Kaya was our small tribe in number. Yes, I don't know what happened to the other half, but uh, maybe they eventually got through too. I don't know. I and, the, and the woman—I don't know. Did she come? She must have come through, sure.
0: I feel so- well. I was going to ask you <laughs> because I wondered about that.
1: Yes, I, I, can, uh, I can. I can. They can relieve your list of. I can strike strike that from your list of anxieties. She did come she through. Did. She yeah. did.
0: Is that a question mm. that you would have asked your father too? Do you sure. think? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, well, well, Scott, let's, let's take a short break and then we'll, we'll be right back um, today on right. Living Writers. And Scott Momaday is here. Um, I'm C Hetzel. We'll be right back.
2: can shoot them anymore.
0: Welcome back. You've Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today, and Scott Momaday is here in the studio. Thanks for playing that song, choosing that song to play as, as well, Scott.
1: Well, my pleasure. I, I uh, you, you. like that music and the movie and, uh, of course, Billy the Kid. I don't know if you know this, but Billy the Kid is one of my... My great glories. I grew up in New Mexico, and uh, you can't be in New Mexico as a child without knowing about Billy the Kid and playing games in which he figures, you know. He looms large. Oh, looms large, (laughs) and he and I used to ride the range together, get into all kinds of scrapes and uh, rescue maidens who were in dire distress, and it was a great time.
0: (laughs) What was the name of your horse? Pecos. Pecos. Mm -hmm. Real horse or imaginary? Both.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I imagined him before I owned him, and uh, I was given a, I was given Pecos when I was about twelve, thirteen years old, at Hays Pueblo, New Mexico, where my parents taught, and uh, I rode around that country on the back of that horse for several years. I must have covered a thousand miles or more. Great, great experience.
0: And and with were you often often alone or with Billy the Kid?
1: I Was with Billy the Kid a yeah. lot of the time? Yeah. He wrote a few steps behind me and on my, on my left side, as I remember. Mm. I love
0: that. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for bringing that song into the, the program today, too. And thanks to Tex for engineering, um, making making a sound yes. <laughs> out there into the world. I wasn't
1: expecting that, to give you the names of and then hear them right away. That's remarkable.
0: Well, it's, it's, like, it's your soundtrack for this moment.
1: Yeah. Right? All right. <laughs>
0: Um, so could we, so could we talk about how you, you, cause you also have, so we've, and Scott Momaday, this is your name. And then when you were six months old, you were, you were also given another name Mm -hmm. as well. Um, I guess, what could you talk about that a little bit? Tell us about your name and where it came from. And
1: yeah, uh, when I was, uh, when I was born in Oklahoma, And uh, my first home was my grandparents' home at a town called Mountain View. It was uh, not in town, but near the town on the Rainy Mountain Creek. And um, when I was six months old, my parents took me from Oklahoma to Wyoming to Devil's Tower, as most of us know it, this gigantic uh, tree-like monument in the Black Hills. It's sacred to the Kiowas because in the course of their migration, they camped there. They lived there for a time. And they have a wonderful story about uh, the um, creation of this uh, rock tree, as they call it, Soai rock tree. And uh, so we went there for reasons I, I don't really know. But I, ha- I have an idea that it was somehow to present me to my past, my distant past, and to the um, sacredness of that place. And so when we returned to Oklahoma, um, an old man in the tribe came to visit, and he picked me up and uh, started telling stories. It was the name-giving process, the name-giving ceremony. And uh, when he finished talking, he looked down at me, and he said, and now you are Tsoai Tali, Rock Tree Boy, to commemorate my having been taken to this sacred place. So that's how that came about, my Indian name.
0: A P- pretty great name.
1: I think it's uh, powerful, yeah. As, as that monument, that, that, that strange and immense uh, feature in the landscape is powerful, yes.
0: Do you return to it?
1: Uh-huh, yes. I've been back there several times and uh, will we'll hope to go again. My da- one of my daughters, uh, my second daughter, whose name is Jill, is making a film Called The Return to Rainy Mountain, which is about the family and our forebears and so on. So, that, that uh, So I, the rock tree, features, uh, is a feature in her film, and uh, uh, it becomes more and more important as time goes.
0: Because then you, you of course, are also passing on these stories mm-hmm. to your children. Mm-hmm. Does Jill have an Indian name as well?
1: Yeah, she has an Indian name, Skoptedema. Which means standing solidly, like the rock tree. Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Are the other daughters also have names that are linked to your name? Yeah, they
1: have Indian names, yeah.
0: But but are they like that standing solidly and you can see the connection to rock tree boy?
1: Yeah, their names are meaningful in certain ways. One of my daughters is named Pai Maton, which means sun girl. And she was given that name because she is light-skinned and... uh, um uh, reminds people of the of the sun and uh she has that energy, the sun's energy because of her name.
0: The Sundance?
1: Sundance, yeah. There was the old Sundance tribe, the Kiowas. You know. Um there are so many stories, T stories in, st- within stories. We don't have time enough to go into them, but uh,
0: But stories within stories. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, that's an interesting thing to me because there are so many stories uh, and stories within stories. But I like to say uh, that there is only one story, really, only one story. But there are many stories in the one.
0: And why? Why do you like? Why?
1: I like the complexity of that uh, or the mystery of it. You know, one story. We all we all inhabit one story. But there are so many stories in the one. For example, you know, we have one story about creation and, uh, and evolution and so on. And it's a great story. But each of us, too, has, has his own story. We are the story of ourselves. And so we fit into the, to the one great story somehow. It's necessary. And uh, we don't always understand it. But we each have a part in the story, and we have to play that part as best we can that is that defines us as humans
0: and so it's it's both very unifying and empowering mm-hmm yes and yes. inviting we're all part of it mm-hmm but unifying it's almost as if like when you, you go up into space and you see the earth and you th- see it as yeah. we are exactly yes. one story
1: yeah and you know it's a serious business we we have the responsibility of playing our role In the story, some of us do, and some of us don't, and and so we end up with uh, tragic figures, you know, those who do not fulfill their part in the story, Uh, like like Raskolnikov, say, or you know, Moby Dick, or Ahab.
0: But 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 is it that that's their part to play?
1: Ah, yes, that's that's possibly so, and I think you that may be so.
0: And we don't understand, but there's. We don't
1: understand. Ahab uh, is a good example because uh, he did play his part to the hill, didn't he? (laughs) (laughs) So to speak. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) or even I, I, can remember the Les Misérables with the character Javert. I'm probably not seeing his name correctly, but I remember when I first thought I was just so angry at him and just really hated like what he was doing to Jean Valjean and just thought he was just a monster. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older and and then I I saw the play, I read it, and then thought. Then I thought he's there's something about him that you feel for.
1: Yeah, yeah. Isn't that true of so many uh so many heroes in literature? You Can say the same thing about Hamlet, can't you? King Lear, oh wow. Love King Lear.
0: <laughs> I love this app. <laughs> Um Scott, earlier you were talking about um the sacredness of yes. of the name. Um and I wonder about the stories, um, and about how these stories are reaching young people now, like the new generations. What do you think about the stories and the sacredness that by, by listening to the music that we've listened to today, for example, I feel I'll speak for myself, I won't (laughs) generalize, but I feel fed by it in some way, like, I don't know if it's too much to say made greater, but there's something is given to me that feels like I can feel something and I become changed by it. And I wonder if stories that are passed down aren't the same. It makes us who we are knowing these stories.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, so what I know you're doing your part of telling the stories so that more generations will know them, but are they, are they able to find the stories?
1: i you know you're asking a question that uh, I'm not sure has an answer um the oral tradition is 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 much stronger than we realize even though it has to be passed from generation to generation by word of mouth um
0: but it's stronger so it's
1: it's stronger in the sense that it's uh um it's it's more vital than writing in certain ways you know because Uh, the storyteller has a tremendous responsibility in passing something from one generation to another. The listener has to listen with great care and then has to remember what he hears. So all, These are things that are not necessarily applicable to writing. Writing gives us a false security where language is concerned because we can write something down and it'll be there when we come back for it. In the oral tradition, no. It's, it's, the oral tradition is much more fragile, but it's much more vital. And uh, we were talking a moment ago about plays, Hamlet. This is the best example of oral tradition that we have in our society, theater. Because you, you see actors passing on words to each other, and but they're talking to you with their um, body language and uh, inflections and movements on stage. This is exactly what the oral tradition is.
0: And the audience is also mm. part of that energy.
1: Yes, exactly. Listening or... Exactly, yeah. So I, I encourage uh, people who to see plays. It's a wonderful kind of learning experience. And a, and a great contact with language.
0: Are you making plays?
1: Well, I've, I've written some plays, and I'm th- am thinking of doing more. And I love to see plays, you know. Yeah. I have a friend who's a great playwright, uh, Bernard Pomerantz, who uh, wrote The Elephant Man, and he and I talk about theater a great deal.
0: Mm-hmm. And the language that becomes goes into the air...
1: A language that goes into the air. Yeah, there are more words than stars in the sky, I think.
2: <laughs>
0: Scott, thank you so much for talking with me today. Ty, it's I been a real it. pleasure. Thank you. Um, well, everyone, you've been listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel um, today on the program and Scott Momaday. Um, until next time. <laughs>
2: Hello, welcome to the Daily Sports Report. Uh, today is Wednesday, April 21st, and you're listening to 88.3 FM Ann Arbor. Uh, this is Adam Bressler with Charlie Brigham, and this is the penultimate uh, Daily Sports Report of the twenty uh, spring 2021 or winter 2021 semester. So after tomorrow's broadcast, we will be taking a hiatus until the fall. So uh, you have to get all of your sports news in through us. And uh, I don't know about you, but a lot of the students are kind of burnt out at the moment with the exams coming up, but it's always a good break to be on this show. How are you doing today, Charlie?
0: Um I'm, I'm doing pretty good. The weather isn't isn't too nice. You know, snowing in April, end of April especially is never something you want to see, but I can com- I completely agree with you the fact that I am I am perked out. I am ready for the school year to be done. I'm just ready for it to be summer. Just be able to relax.
2: Exactly, exactly can't come soon enough. And um yeah, as you mentioned, we are recording this a day ahead due to COVID, so um this is being recorded on Tuesday, April twentieth when it is currently snowing, so I hope it's not snowing uh right now as you're listening to this, but you never know and uh that that's just uh, something to keep in mind if um if some big breaking news happened this morning we we can't get on to it but we have some uh stuff to discuss uh the The main news was the super league, but neither of us are really European soccer fans.